Psalm 139. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearful and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee, when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thy will slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Reading the 24 verses of Psalm 139, let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for another privilege that you have given this side of eternity to preach your precious word. And Lord, I realize without you I can do nothing, and oh God, I pray for your power. I pray for wisdom, understanding. Help me, oh God, to communicate the message that would honor you and you might receive the glory. Lord, I pray you would have the preeminence as we learn in Sunday school today. And may you be honored in this service. May we learn more about you. And Lord, just have a greater desire to serve you and please you, love you more. I pray you'd speak to hearts, speak to my own heart today and minister to each need. If there be one unsaved, I pray for their salvation. I pray, God, for revival in the hearts of you people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to speak to you on this thought today, no place to hide. We find God's name is mentioned, or mentioned by name six times in this psalm and referred to by personal pronouns 30 times. Man is referred to 50 times in this psalm. 
So as, and, and I think the, the key thought that goes through this psalm, psalm here is there's no way to get away from God. God's everywhere. And we find uh, many of the attributes of God in this, uh, in this psalm today. In the first six verses, we have the omniscience of God that is given. Omniscience simply means that God knows everything. There's nothing God does not know. Uh, God cannot learn anything. God's never surprised, as we are many times. God uh, has all knowledge, all wisdom. And this is uh, beyond, I think, our comprehension. In verse 1, he said, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. The word search here has the meaning of, of minute investigation. He's not talking about that God generally knows about us. God knows every detail of our life. In fact, the Bible said that even the hairs of our head are numbered. And don't take too long for God to count some of us. But uh, anyway, you think of the, of the detail of the knowledge of God. You know, when I think of that kind of wisdom, and I think of all the millions of people in the world, and all the details of every individual life. You know God knows how many cells that make up your body. God knows how many hair on your head. God knows every detail of our life and of this earth. The Bible said a sparrow does not fall to the ground without his knowledge. You think of the, of the vastness of the wisdom of God. It's beyond our comprehension. And yet there's a great truth in this that God wants to be involved in the details of our life. You know, I enjoy the children sometime in school. They, uh, we have prayer requests, and they request prayer for, for some very simple things sometimes. Sometimes it kind of gets a chuckle, but, uh, but I'm glad that God is concerned about uh, the smallest detail of the smallest child's life. And the Lord wants to be involved. In our life. Thy has searched me, he says, and known me. God knows all about us. We find that the pronouns me, my, and knows and, and are all in, the, in these verses here. He talks about he, he knows our thoughts. In, uh, in verse 2 he said, Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. God knows when we sit down. God knows when we get up. The Bible said the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And thy understandest my thought afar off. Think of that. That God knows our thoughts. And the Bible said that we will have to stand in the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for our thoughts. Now that's an awesome thing to, to even think about, isn't it? The Bible said he'll make manifest the counsels of the heart. And if I could read your mind today, there's probably not anyone in here that would not be embarrassed by some things, that, some thoughts that you've entertained at times. And so would I. And the awesomeness of standing at the judgment seat of Christ and giving an account 
for these things. No wonder, no wonder Paul wrote about the judgment seat of Christ and he said, Know him therefore the terror of the Lord. We persuade men and he's writing to believers. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive for the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether they be good or bad. And he said, knowing the terror of the Lord. He says, you want to know why I preach hard? You want to know why I'm so diligent in trying to get you to live right? He said, the judgment seat for some people will be a time of terror. Think about the coming of the Lord and the glorified body and the blessed hope of the believer, the resurrection and all these wonderful and great truths. But I'm going to tell you, the judgment seat of Christ is going to be a terror-filled time for some people. When he makes manifest the counsels of the heart, when every hour of word that men shall speak, they'll give an account thereof in the day of judgment. We meet God for our thoughts and we stand before God for every word spoken in secret and every deed that's been done in the dark. He said, Thy compasses my path, my lying down, art acquainted with all my ways, for there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, Thy knowest it altogether. God hears every telephone conversation. God hears every whisper. God sees every deed. God sees it all that's done in the dark as if God could not see in the dark. God can see this as well in the dark as he can in the, in the daytime. God has all knowledge. And he said, such knowledge is too wonderful for me I'm overwhelmed by the vastness of the knowledge of our God. In Isaiah 29, 15, Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord. And their works are in the dark, and they say, Who seeth us, and who knoweth us? There's a woe pronounced upon those who try to cover up their sin. In the book of Luke, in chapter number 12, in verse 2 and 3, the Bible said, There is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. That which ye have spoken in the ear in clauses shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. Think of that. There is nothing covered that shall not be revealed. If you read the Bible, there's one thing that becomes crystal clear. That is that you can't sin and get by. Be sure your sin will find you out. Some of the greatest people that's ever walked the face of this earth fell into terrible sin. And yet God exposed their sin. You can't sin and get by with it. You can't cover something up and escape the eye of God. Ultimately, if we don't face it in this life, we'll face it at the judgment seat. And I doubt I'm going to be shouting too high until that's over. 
till my works are tried and the fire burns up, that, that's no good. What will remain? We have an omniscient God, don't we? 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come who will bring, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. David writing here, and he said, I can't get away from you, Lord. God, you know all about me. David could write from experience, a man that took another man's wife and committed adultery with her, covered up his sin, had her husband killed, takes her to be his wife, and has it all nicely sealed up and covered, and nobody knows about it. You know, if, if we only knew the hidden things in people's life, if we could only see from where God sees and see all the hidden things, I wonder what would be there. David had it all hid from the eyes of man, but he didn't hide it from the eyes of God. And he had to ultimately face his sin and face the judgment because of it. David wrote this great psalm on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he said, Lord, you know all about me. God, you know my thoughts. You know my words. God, you know everything about me. I can't escape from you. God is omniscient. Not only that, but we see the omnipresence of God in verse 7 through 12. And the questions are asked, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If you were going to get away from God, where would you go? He gives some answers here. Or some, some uh, th things a person might entertain. If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I get on the space shuttle and, and I blast it off out beyond the force of gravity, If I get on a rocket and I go to the moon, if ultimately they develop a machine that might take me to Mars. He said, when you get there, God's already there. If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there too. And if I take, he said, the wings in the morning, and dwell on the uttermost part of the sea. He says, you know where I'm at. <laughs> Jonah tried that, didn't he? God said, Jonah, go to Tarshish and cry against them. For their wickedness, Jonah didn't want to go. They were his enemies. He really wanted God to kill them. Because he really gets mad when they repent. <laughs> Strange for a preacher, isn't it? Uh, he didn't want to repent. He didn't want to get right with God. We're always trying to get folks right with God. And the Lord sent him. Jonah basically decided not to go. He got him a ticket, got on a boat, and got as far away from that place he could get. Or he was on, he, by the way, he never got to Tarshish. He planned to go, but he didn't quite make it, did he? He got intercepted by a great fish. And God sent him back and he, he went to Nineveh. But he couldn't get away from the Lord. Neither can you and neither can I. 
God is everywhere present. God's everywhere. I marvel at that. I marvel at how the Holy Spirit lives within us and in a while we'll dismiss and go our separate ways and you'll go one and everybody goes different ways and yet God goes with each one of us. Isn't that amazing? How the Holy Spirit of God can live in me and live in you and live in some other, you know, in people in other countries and God's everywhere present. You can't get away from the Lord. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere present. And we find Adam and Eve after they'd sinned against the Lord in the Garden of Eden, the Lord came down and said, Adam, where art thou? Why'd God say that? God knew where he was at. Sure, God knew. God could have went right up to Adam and say, you're trying to hide Adam? I know where you're at. God wanted Adam to face him. It's just like salvation. The Lord doesn't force salvation on anybody. You have to willingly make that choice and say, I willingly receive you Lord I willingly and Adam after he had sinned against God he had he had to be willing to face the Lord he had to be willing to do that to face up to his sin and face God and every individual has to ultimately do that or go to hell they have to of their own volition or their own will face the fact I'm a sinner and face the Lord God of heaven and admit their sin Adam where art thou Adam said I heard your voice and I was afraid. Why were you afraid, Adam? Have you eaten the forbidden fruit? Yeah, Lord, I did. Now he has to face his sin. And you know the effects of it. But listen, he couldn't hide. You know what sin does? Sin, may, sin makes you want to hide. You know why a lot of folks aren't at church today? sin you know why it's hard to get sinners to come to church cause they're uncomfortable where God's at and if you get back sit on God you don't want to be here either when I was out of the fellowship of God the last place in the world I wanted to be is church because I knew if I went to church and heard the word of God I would have to I would have to come to a point of, 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 of decision that I would have to face my sin and deal with it, and I didn't want to do that. God's everywhere present. Jeremiah 23, 24 asked the question, Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Saith the Lord. Do not I feel heaven and earth? Saith the Lord. Job 34, 22, There is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. And this old sinful world is going to have to meet God one day and face God whether they like it or not. Every human being that's ever walked the face of this earth and breathed the breath of life will ultimately stand face to face with God and give an account. Everybody, everybody. Nowhere to hide. In fact, he talks about the regathering of Israel and he said, uh, you know, he'll gather them from all over the earth and and, it, you know, if they're out in the heavens, he'll gather them from there. Which indicates some may be. Man has an appointment with God. He can't escape from the Lord. That's determined. You are going to face God. No maybes, 
Guess those about it. You are going to stand before God. And I'm going to stand there and I'm going to give an account. There was an infidel father who wanted to instill his infidelity in his son. So he wrote in huge letters upon the wall of his house, God is nowhere. He brought his little boy in. He said, I want you to look at this. I want you to, I want you to see this. He put it there where he could see him every day. God is nowhere. The little boy looked at it. He said, that's, that's what my teacher says. God is now here. <laughs> well, he took the same letters and he, he interpreted it differently, didn't he? God is everywhere. You know, we talk about coming and meeting with the Lord. We come to church and, and we talk about the Lord and we, we lift, sing about the Lord and we lift the Lord up and we exalt the Lord. But the Lord, the Lord doesn't live here in this building. And we come and say, okay, Lord, we're here and, and uh, we come to talk to you and fellowship with you. No, God is in the every believer. God's everywhere. God's everywhere. Then thirdly, we see the omnipotence of God. In verse 13 through 18, he said, Thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. Now the reins uh, had to do with the innermost being. And it, we see here the omnipotence of God. Now he, he's describing uh, how it all began. And uh, the, these verses are some of the, the greatest verses to use uh, against... Uh, abortion and when life really begins and he says here uh, Lord you possess me you were there when I was in my mother's womb and he said I'm going to praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made marvelous of thy works and that my soul knoweth right well you know you studied the complexity of the human body and only a fool would believe in evolution Do you believe this pulpit evolved? I was just talking to the kids at school in chapel the other day, and we, you know I, was, I preach in chapel from this little stand here, and put it down there. And I asked the students, I said, "Do you believe that uh, that this pulpit here is a little more complex than this one? Do you believe this one evolved from that one?" And they laughed. If you can believe that, you can believe in evolution. And if you can't believe that, you're a fool to believe in evolution because it makes just as much sense. If you believe this watch, that I can take it apart. I don't know how many parts is in it. Just take it apart, each little part. Everything I can get apart. And, and I put it in the mixer. And I turn the mixer on, and after, you say, a hundred years I go back, and lo and behold, there's a watch. Now, if you believe that, you can believe evolution. And to look at this creation, to look at man, to look at the complexity of the human body, and say it all just happened on its own, makes absolutely no sense at all. 
You know how complex our body is? You've been praying for my back and uh, keep praying. <laughs> and I've had all kind of tests and been to all kind of doctors and they can't find what's causing my back to hurt and my leg to hurt. But the pain is real. <laughs> now you would think with all the modern pictures and x-rays and MRIs and, and all the knowledge and all the specialists that they wouldn't have that kind of problem. You think with, we talk about the technology and all the abilities and all the specialists and all this and what they can do and how they can stop your heart, repair it and start it back and all these things and we marvel at it and yet my body is so complex that they can't find what's causing it to hurt. And I've kind of lost faith in doctors to a point. But the point I'm making is that the body is so complex that there's too much knowledge to learn and no one human being can understand it all, so they specialize. And one, all he doctors is the brain. Another one, all he doctors is the heart. Another one, all he doctors is, they even have feet doctor, and all they doctor is feet. <laughs> and uh, he said, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And how true that is. If I was designing the human body, it'd be a mess. I'd probably put the nose on backwards, and when, you, when it rains, you'd drown, and, uh, I'd have really, I'd had the eyes going out this way and uh, it's hard to say what I'd have come up with. But aren't you glad there's a master designer and he says here, my substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Talking about the womb there. Thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect and in thy book all my members were written which it continues were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. Think of that. When you were just microscopic, David said there, God knew what color hair you would have. In fact, they say from the moment of conception is determined where you'll be a male or a female, what kind of color of hair you'll have, and if you'll have it very long, and, and uh, uh, you know what color eye, what color of eyes you'll have, and how tall you'll be, and. And, uh, and all that is determined from the moment of conception when it would take a microscope to see it all. And I want to say to you that life begins there. To interrupt that life from that point on is absolute murder. It's the taking of a life that God himself... Listen, he said, uh, uh, you knew about it, Lord. I am fearfully and wonderfully that God himself has ordained and is working. Now, if there's going to be any kind of birth control, it ought to be done before conception. Once there is conception, it's a life, and it's murder to take the life. The omnipotence of God. In Psalm 100 and verse 3, Know ye that the Lord, He is God, it is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. He created life. All things are made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And not only is He the creator, but He's the sustainer of life. In Acts 17, 28, in Him we live 
and move and how they're being. He giveth to all life and breath and all things. You could not lift your little finger without the Lord. The signal comes from the brain, goes down through the nervous system and says, finger move. But it ultimately comes from God. Where does the brain, have you ever thought of this? Where does the brain get its from? Where does the brain get its information? From the time that baby is born, the baby's a wiggling and a squealing and, and uh, a carrying on from the moment of birth. And the brain is acting, and the brain waves are acting before birth. Now, who, who starts it up? <laughs> who turns the switch on? If your brain was not hooked up to God, to the ultimate sustainer of the universe, this congregation would die in the next second. We'd, we'd fall like flies and we'd be dead, all of us. And not only would we die, but all the whole creation would die. They came out a few years ago and said, God is dead. <laughs> Real smart, college people. Real intelligent folks. God is dead, how dumb. They didn't have enough sense to realize if God had been dead, they wouldn't have been alive to be talking about it. In Him we live and move and have our being. You can't get away from the impotence of God. Then, finally, you can't get away from the omni-righteousness of God. And we find this in verse 19 through 24. And he talks about the judgment of God. Romans 2, 5 talks about this righteous judgment. And the only place to get away from the judgment of God is to flee to Christ. In Isaiah 2, in verse 19 through 21, he said, They shall go in the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth for fear of the Lord, and for the glory of his majesty when he ariseth to shake terribly the earth. In that day a man shall cast his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made each one for himself to worship to the moles and to the bats, and go into the clefts of the rocks, the tops of the ragged rocks, for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake turbulent the earth. So this is speaking about a future judgment when people are going to try to hide themselves from the Lord. And, and Revelation 6 talks about it. They'll cry for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them and hide us from the face of the Lamb. God is holy and God demands righteousness. You'll have to produce righteousness or be judged. God judges sin, every sin. And the only reason that we can escape and go to heaven instead of hell is because the Son of God was judged on the cross in our place. He carried our sins of that rugged cross and God poured out His wrath upon His Son in place of us. That's salvation. And that's the only means of escape. That's the only hope of a lost and dying world is to flee to Jesus. Not to climb in a hole somewhere. Some years ago when the Cold War was at its height, they had the fallout shelters because of the danger of atomic weapons. By the way, that danger is still very real today, regardless of what the news media tries to tell you. Those bombs are still in place. Those 
those uh, rockets and all that would carry them here, everything's still in place. You say, why aren't we blowed up? Because there's a God in heaven that has a plan, and man will not change the plan of God. I don't care what he does. Man is ultimately responsible to a, a holy God. God is holy, and they'll try to hide. They'll try to find a fallout shelter. They'll try to find a place of hiding. But the Bible says those things won't, those things won't hide you. And in Isaiah here, he said they'll throw their idols away. I read a story about a missionary to the Indians years ago. This missionary is trying to win this chief to the Lord. He said, Indian travel Indian way all of his life. Indian going to stay on the Indian way. One day the Indian got sick and got old and it's time to die. He called for the missionary. He said, I've traveled Indian way all my life. I said, Indian way doesn't, can't get me through this. He said, tell me about your way. No Indian was saved. A person may follow their gods and their idols and, and follow all these things in life and they may, they may get along all right with their false religion. But I'll tell you, when it comes time to meet God and time to face eternity, there ain't but one religion that's worth anything, and that's Christ, Christianity. We had uh, folks, another church I pastor, we had some folks in our church there, and, and uh, they had been saved, and this wife's mother was involved in this church of Christ that believed baptism saves you. I went to visit her one day. She was in the hospital, very sick and dying, and I went to visit with her. And her daughter was hysterical. She met me in the hall, and she said, Please come and see if you can help my mama. Said, my mother says she's burning up. She's on fire. Would you please help her? And she was at the point then that she was almost beyond help. And we prayed that God would, give, would, would uh, clear her mind once more and give her opportunity to hear the gospel. God did that. God answered that prayer and, and opened her mind. And I was able to talk to her. And I said, what are, you, what are you trusting to get you to heaven? She said, I'm trusting my baptism. I said, that won't do it. That's why she is on fire. That's why she is a burning. I said, Christ, Jesus Christ is the only hope of salvation. Will you trust him? We depend on him. And she said, I will. I will. A few days later, she died, and she died in peace because she had Christ. The righteousness of God. He closes this great psalm. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Would you, can you pray that prayer? Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. God can do that. We've already seen that. This omniscient God, this omnipresent God, this omnipotent God, this omni-righteousness of God, I can't see in your mind, and I'm glad I can't. I'm glad you can't see in mine.
God can. God knows every thought that you've had this week. My question is, have there been some thoughts that have not been pleasing to God? Have there been any thoughts that you'd be embarrassed about? If I could look in your mind and I'd say, you stand up. And you stood up and I'd say, this, these are the thoughts that this person has had this week. Is there anything there that you'd be embarrassed for me to publicly present? God can do that. There's not one word that you have spoken that God did not hear. Is there anything you've said this week that you would be embarrassed about? Is anywhere you've been, anything you've done, you'd be embarrassed if I could expose it? That's the judgment seat. That's what it'll be like. Are you ready for it? Search me, O God. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. He's no longer trying to cover up his sin and hide it. He said, God, I can't, I can't do that. I can't hide it from you because you know it all. You're everywhere. I can't hide nothing from you. I'm not, gonna hide, I'm not trying to hide anything. Lord, I just want you. If there's anything I'm hiding, unconsciously, God, if there's something I've not faced, show it to me, Lord. Reveal it to me. And forgive me and lead me in the way that's right. That's my prayer. I remember something I heard a preacher say several years ago. He said, I want to be in public or I want to be in private what I appear to be in public. That's my prayer. That's my desire. Let's bow our heads.